Welcome to the official podcast of Forturnia.com. We have the power. I'm your host, AJ, a.k.a. Voodoo Magic, a.k.a. Zoar. And today's episode is titled The Rainbow Warrior, a title taken from the terrific classic He-Man and the Masters of the Universe filmation episode of the same name, surrounding a story where Prince Adam's mother, Queen Marlena, has to save Adam, King Randor, Man-at-Arms, Orko, and Tila from the clutches of Skeletor, and proves why the Queen Mother is not only the best pilot in the galaxy, but hints she also knows Adam's secret identity as well. An episode all around very appropriate for today's topic. There are a lot of people out there, fans of Masters of the Universe, that truly do not understand why this brand, this filmation show, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, was and is so important to the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, even being technically outside of that community myself, being the age that I am, I could still see when that series aired from 1983 and to 1985 and the 1980s in general, how hard and underlying hard that time was on that community. So I asked the incredibly gracious Tim Sheridan, a terrific writer of so much joy, uh, Masters of the Universe, Revelation, Upcoming Revolution, Batman the Long Halloween, Dragon Age, Absolution, Transformers, War of Cybertron, so much good stuff. If he wouldn't mind coming on and not talk about that, but help shine a brief spotlight on the topic and help us all understand more how a show like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was important to this community, uh, something one could feel emotionally connected to and keep you going, especially if you were young during those hardest of times. So Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for uh, asking me and inviting me to be here. Um, I, I am, uh, you know, as a, as a, a queer writer and, and fan of, 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 uh, of Motu and, and, uh, and all sorts of other, uh, great pop culture and genre stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I don't speak for everybody, but I, uh, I can certainly, um, give you my, my perspective on this stuff. I appreciate that because, um, people are, well, maybe no fault to their own, contained in their little uh, logarithm circles through life. Mm. And even before the internet. And unfortunately, the internet didn't make it any easier to open up discussion and encourage experiencing other people's perspectives and experiences so I thought focusing on this uh, podcast could help, you know, because in a, in a way, us being fans, we're all part of a brotherhood and a sisterhood of this Motu community. You know what I find the most, one of the most remar remarkable things is I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but tell me what you think about this, but I feel like there is a, a greater awareness and appreciation for the fact 
that masters of the universe in particular, um, which which when when we say that, I think we include you know Shira as well. Yeah. Um, th- that uh, uh, among the fan base, among the fan base at large, there is a an understand a real understanding and to some extent an appreciation uh, for the fact that it these these properties that they love have have had great appeal to the LGBTQIA plus communities um, or community. Um, and, uh, and I don't see, I mean, I work in a lot of different areas of pop culture and genre and nostalgia and stuff. And I don't, I've never seen that with anything else. And I think it speaks to just how, how, uh, important Motu has been to so many queer people, kids and adults alike, um, and how they've identified with it. Uh, for so many years, I think that's got to be that's got to be part of it. I think that's got to be it. It because there it is an inordinate number. It's a huge. I th- I think I could be wrong. I haven't done any science on this, but in my personal experience, there is just a real understanding and appreciation and welcoming nature within the Motu fan community for 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 queer fans who love who love Motu. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I, I I think I've I think you're right. I think it's enormous among this particular brand and this particular IP more than any other brand that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And generally, I think the fans are very um, incredibly welcoming. But I also do know there are some that feel maybe that history is being trying to be rewritten in regards to that they feel uh, fear. Right, that they, they feel threatened by possibly there is a, another perspective. How how um, the LGBTQ plus community embrace this show? That the show might be changing. You you was, obviously went through some of these criticisms. There was a lot of there was a lot of stuff of, on. <laughs> for those of you who um, have never been on the internet. Let me uh, <laughs> yes. get through this a little bit. But there was a, a, a strange amount of um, homophobia, I would say, directed toward Master's Revelation and the show that, that I worked on. And, um, and you know, I got to say, being, being the, the, you know, the, the queer writer on, on, on staff, I, I couldn't help but feel, you know, attacked <laughs> um but it was like but you know there there was this the the the, th- the criticisms that were leveled were clickbait m- mostly clickbait stuff that was based on images that were released and and I should say more than that based on outdated stereotypes that we've all we can all see through and we know i mean you know Tila has a new haircut, you know, and and has has you know some bigger biceps uh, after being out in you know as a mercenary working as a mercenary for a while, um, and to to a to a lot of people, uh, unfortunately, they took that as as a, an a, a a tool that they could use to fire up some people and get them to to think that there was an a you know that Tila was going to be queer in the show, and that you know she she had a 
a, a, a female coworker com, compatriot in Andra and that that was going to be a thing. And, and um, that's so cynical. And, and ultimately I, I saw through it. I think a lot of people see through it. It was, you know, to, to judge some, to judge someone, whether they're a cartoon character or not based on like their style and their look and decide, like, it reminds me of all the, like the stuff when I was a kid of like, you know, if you wear this thing, you're queer was what we, back when queer was a bad thing to hear as a, as a kid, you know, now I wear that as a badge of honor, but, but then it, you know, the, it reminds me of those things that made no sense at all. I remember, I remember when I was outed to my brother and my brother said, you know, I suspected. And uh, I said, why? And he said, well, you're a big fan of Elton John. <laughs> and, it was, and it was one of, one of, the stupider things he's ever said of, you know, and he's, he said a few, um, but it was, it was like, you know, that kind of stuff is so just backwards. And I think that was what those criticisms were really based around, uh, around revelation, which is backwards, dumb, old style thinking that I am happy to, the minute I see it block, block, block on social media, because they don't deserve uh, my, my, uh, my attention. Um, well, I always like focus on, you know, there's a lot of people out there that um, don't understand the, this show's roots from the employees to, you know, you, you have an idea of what the filmation He-Man and the Masters Universe show was, but um, this is your memory from a child. You might remember an episode or two. A lot of people haven't revisited and don't remember the content. And I find that in regards to when people say um, the show went woke, um, that I argue with just a string of bullet points that the show was always woke. And Revelation didn't actually change anything. And, and in some aspects, I would argue the original show by your consideration person on the internet um is is more woke to, to twice as much as as woke as the show that revelation is so i that's why it was important for i think us just to you know to sort of go back and um you know set the scene of that I just, age i just refuse by the way as an aside to accept the premise uh, that wokeness is a great evil that must be fought yeah. about it if being woke means seeing the world for what it is and not for what i'm clinging to what i hope it sh could be or should be or would have been um if it means you know seeing people in in works of fiction that look like the people that populate my city and my town and my world, even if they don't populate my city, they populate my world. Even, you know, if, if, if that's what wokeness is, if wokeness is, is, is about, you know, actually representing the world as it is, you know, then, you know, sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be, to be, you know, I will, and I like the word queer, you know, I will pick up the label woke and wear it as a badge of honor, you know, because yeah. 
it became because a dirty word at some point. Anything it never, else human, I think. It never originally was a dirty word, you know. But no, as, the word liberal. I think the word liberal get got tainted and turned into a thing because it was used as a weapon by people who had an agenda that had nothing to do with the stuff we're we're talking about, you know. And yeah. um, and and so you know, then you know, then then it became you know they tried to adapt and become progressive because liberal became a bad word, you know. Um, there are people who are really good at, at taking a word like that and labeling a group of people and making it, you know, a, a, a negative, uh, you know, giving it a negative connotation. And, you know, that stuff, I just don't, I don't care. I don't care about that stuff. You know what? I am absolutely woke. If that's, if being woke means, you know, actually seeing the world for what it is and presenting it in the stories I tell um, as the way the real world works <laughs> and looks and feels, uh, I'll take it. Uh, anyway, so, but that's not the way it was in the 80s. Uh, you know, in the 80s, there was talk about like, you know, when I was a kid, but I remember even as a kid, there was talk about political correctness, which is what we used to call woke, you know, and um, and that there were, there was these, these this, there was a sort of fringe idea that we were getting too politically correct and we needed to revert back to a more what I think is barbaric time in the way we related to each other. Uh, <clears throat> so there were rumblings of that then. And I have to say, I wonder if, if a if a property like Masters of the Universe and if a show like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe in the 80s would have survived it, if it debuted in today's climate where it and, and 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 I mean that simply because a it was very inclusive, you know. Number one, but number two, everybody was kind of scantily, you know, dressed and um, muscular, and there were. I feel like I'm sure there were. I I didn't I didn't I honestly haven't paid attention to it, but smarter viewers than I will probably be able to in the comments tell us of the places where people like I don't know Jerry Falwell or people in the '80s would have looked at Masters of the Universe and probably called it out and said, this is turning your kids gay or some dumb, ignorant shit like that. Um, and uh, so today there's there's about a million more of that guy and they all have a platform on social media now. So I wonder if a show like that could happen. I mean, maybe Revelation, you know, the, the way it was welcomed by the clickbait crew is uh, is a sample and a good example of, of what might have happened, um, you know, in a if that show had debuted now, uh, maybe we were more innocent, and 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 so if that's the case, we're lucky that that show and those figures and those toys were able to exist. They weren't taken down by you know the the torch pitchfork wielding crew, <laughs> you know. <coming laughs> us, you know? Well, I mean, if you think about it, and I, I, I plan on touching it a little later or touching upon it, but um, in the filmation show, I mean, we had stuff where like Tila, a woman was in charge of men, captain mm -hmm. of the guards, you know? Yeah. And we also, I believe it was written prior to, we had our first female astronaut, Queen Marlena, before there was, I think there was a female astronaut in Russia, but not in the United States yet. And here's this new cartoon coming out in 1983 depicting a female uh, astronaut. And, um, and she wasn't just an astronaut. She was the best pilot 
on Eternia, and we later learned she was the best pilot on Earth. And I, to your point, yeah, I think if this was being declared in a show today, I do think that the internet would be going crazy. Uh, like you're, this well, show is. That's what you mean. That it was always "quote unquote" woke. You know, yes. like, it, it was. It's just that these guys didn't have the mouthpiece that they have today. They were more fringe and they looked like cranks, to be honest, they, back then. Um, now there's, you know, there's safety in numbers. There's so many of them that, um, and look, let me say this. Let me yeah. voice a word of kindness toward these, some of these folks, <laughs> which is, which is to say, <clears throat> um, you know, they, they have a, they have a particular worldview and I disagree with it. Uh, perhaps I don't subscribe to it. It's not my worldview, but they're entitled to have their view. Um, but I think when it comes to works of art or entertainment, I think it really is as simple as if you don't like it, don't watch it. You know, yeah. if it if it's if it doesn't work for you, don't don't worry about it. You don't have to complain about it. You don't have to get out and shout about it. And, Put, put up picket signs, you know, which by the way, work actually in our favor. Again, we, I've said this before, but I'm, I, I heard, I don't know, but I heard that Netflix PR was very pleased with the fake controversies of the internet uh, regarding revelation because it drove more people to the show. Um, so, so I guess we have them to thank for that, but, um, but, but I think that it, it can be that easy. It can be as simple as don't watch it. And then the proof is in the pudding. The proof is, look at how many people did watch it. Look at how, you know, that show's getting uh, another season, another, you know, a sequel series. And uh, and that's because so many fans really responded to it and loved it and watched it. Um, and that's and it's the reason why Masters of the Universe has endured for as long as it has, you know? I mean, it's beloved and nobody's going to harsh your buzz. You know, and also... Um... I have nothing but love for everybody. And um, I'm always trying to improve as a person, you know, always. And, you know, hopefully at some point when I'm a hundred, God, God willing, I live that long, um, <laughs> you know, I'll be a perfect person, but um, you know, it, just it, before it, you die. Great. <laughs> I finally achieved it. And now it's over. <laughs> what I mean is one time, um, there was a, a, a husband of a friend that um, went to jail for um, for dealing drugs, and I was so antisocial when it came to this person that you know I don't want to um, socialize with this drug dealer, with this with this criminal, yeah. and and this was my hurdle to get over because this person turned out to be a wonderful person yep. and he wasn't always, and he'll admit to that, but he, he learned and he, he changed and he grew. And, and if I would have prevented, if I, if I would have held, held to those values, to those stubborn values that people can't change for the better, um, I'd be missing this wonderful person, you know, in my life. And um, there yeah. really is hope for people. I think that's one of the things we learned in, in Masters of the Universe, right? <laughs> These the, the lessons we learned as kids, right? I mean, they, there is hope for everyone, and even the the 
quote unquote cranks I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, there's hope that people can turn it around. And I mean, look, I, I'm living proof of somebody who can try. I mean, I'm I am 14 years sober because my life before that, like I didn't have a career and I didn't you know, have a, I didn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have any relationship. My, my life was a disaster and I don't think I was a lot of fun to be around. And, um, you know, but I had to get real serious about some big things that I had, you know, big stumbling blocks that I had placed in front of me and, and that were placed in front of me. And, and, um, and, and I was able to turn it around and I got so many great things out of it in my life, you know, that have led to me getting a chance to talk to you today uh, and to everybody who's watching, which is, you know, miraculous, you know, the, the, for somebody who probably should have been dead by now. Um, and, and so, you know, you don't have to tell me that people can change. Uh, <laughs> they can change. And, and, and also, and also sometimes certainly with things like alcoholism and drug addiction and, you know, it's a little bit different than dealing, I think, but, but, you know, in some ways, but, yeah. but, but a little bit, <laughs> but, um, you know, when I think about the people who really dig in people who really, you know, are misogynist or homophobic, who, who don't see the world the way that I do, um, I think that they are ill. And I don't mean that to be funny or, you know, I just mean, I think of them like somebody who is ill and you don't get angry at somebody for being sick. You know, you, you, you want to help them and you have compassion for them. That's so let me just back up and just reiterate what I was trying to say, which is not to say these people are, mentally Ill. that's <laughs> yeah. not what I'm, saying. what I'm saying is I like to, I, I like to greet people like that as I would someone who is ill and, and therefore greet them with compassion and with love. And hopefully they will, you know, be able to, you know, be able to change and maybe we'll see the world the same way or, or a similar way, but there's other people who are just bad actors who are out to, you know, make a name for themselves and, and, and get some clicks and, you know, those people you yeah. can't really do anything about. It's disingenuous at that point. I mean, I, I, I would say most of those people probably don't believe half the stuff they say. There's, there's whole news channels where I think the people who, yeah. who get people all riled up are not, they don't even believe half the stuff they say, maybe more, you know, but yeah. it, it sells. And so what are they going to do? They got to make a living. And um, so I have compassion for them still. Um so, so maybe that's why it's important we set the scene first, you know, for and especially for anyone who's younger, who's not familiar with that decade uh, specifically or wasn't here in the U.S. And just really, you know, talk about how the 1980s was like here for the um, LGBTQ plus community uh, versus, you know, where we are now and all the progress that has been made in regards to um, acceptance in today's society. Um, because you, you were talking about coming out and, um, to your brother and, um, well, I was outed, but yeah, or, I was or you're out. It was going to come and, out. And that's another thing in, in, in itself. But, um, I, uh, when I was a young adult, um, back then, um, one of my good friends, you know, I, I thought he was gay and, 
I had suspected he was. And I, I wanted to ask, mm-hmm. but I didn't because I was young and I didn't know how to ask. And I didn't want him to feel uncomfortable, which made me unsure and then made me feel uncomfortable too. And I wasn't sure of really the right thing to do. You should and have just la- pass out. That would have cleared things up. <laughs> Let's not get ahead, but later, (laughs) uh, later I, um, you know, later I learned he would hide stuff in his room. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, every time I would come over, you know, take a picture off the wall, remove any hint that might give him away regarding who he truly was. But but year year wasn't he? (laughs) No, but uh, I just want to show you how or not show you. Um, explain to people who might be listening how difficult because a year or so later he finally decided you know this was the day he was going to tell me and thankfully he felt secure enough that he was going to share this personal thing about himself with me mm-hmm. but still i remember when he was about to tell me he was gay even after deciding he would he was shaking like a leaf shaking like someone sick with a 103 degree fever and it 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 breaks my heart to this day that my friend felt so nervous not because he did something wrong to me or to someone else or to to society but shaking incredibly just because he was about to reveal to me who he really was mm-hmm. and that reaction of his back then opening up coming out of the closet so to speak as it was called back then i think sure. what i think it wasn't the exception i think it it was often the rule sadly back then in the 80s you know no question in the 80s uh <clears throat> there were a bunch of things going on right so first of all we were still we were still, even though we had come out of the 60s with a lot of people talking about free love and just love each other and everybody, you know, can get along and no war. And um, even though we had really started to scratch the surface of, of some great stuff and progress like that, um, society is a funny thing, and especially in America. And we we kind of saw how we we the rubber band snapped back when you know reagan got elected in 1980 and on a platform that was all about essentially make america great again it was actually his slogan before it was trump's and um and you know reverting back to an older time when things were simpler and men were men and you know um uh and and so so things that were happening on sort of on TV, which was becoming more and more uh, omnipresent in our lives at that time, we were seeing a more conservative sort of viewpoint playing out that when I say conservative, I mean, you know, there was there was a rise in religious evangelical uh, influence in politics, and there was a for whatever reason, a vested interest among among a lot of the 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 uh, 
the religious political crowd to you know to uh, to have a, a straw man to have an enemy to have somebody to fight and 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 a lot of times gay people were were a, an easy target for them now that was happening just generally at that time we were we were we were having growing pains is the best way to put that yeah. <clears throat> because gay people were becoming more visible um they were showing up on tv shows you know uh as characters and um and and you know even if you didn't think you knew someone who was gay in your real life you saw they were in your living room on television um and that at the same time as the aids crisis the aids epidemic yeah. which was unfortunately the gay community was incredibly hard hit by that in the in the 80s in particular mm-hmm. and um not the only community that was hit, but it was the one that sold the most newspapers. Certainly, you know, it was the, it was, it was, it was the one that got the most headlines. We were the ones that 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 were, you know, it 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 drove a lot of people back into the closet. It it um it made neighbors afraid of neighbors, and uh and I think that so that and and you know we we had a. We had a system of government in place and, and things that were happening in our society that were keeping that stuff, keeping it, uh, you know, we weren't, we weren't, look, we weren't treating it like an epidemic that needed to be attacked like a public health crisis. It was being treated, unfortunately, from a place, I think, of, of homophobia, which, by the way, is a terrible word. And I, I hate the word homophobia because it's not about a fear necessarily. It's usually just about, you know, hatred. And didn't, um, didn't they call it gay cancer in the beginning? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, in fact, before it was called AIDS, it was referred to as GRID, which was, I think, gay related immunodeficiency, something like that. Um, uh, but they had to expand that definition because it was not something that only affected uh, the gay community. My point is simply to say, and that's just a little bit of history, but there's a lot of great stuff on this. If you're watching this and you're not familiar with what was going on in the 80s and 90s in particular. Um, uh, you know, nowadays we see commercials for, you know, miracle drugs that, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm living with HIV. It's undetectable. And, you know, nobody, you know, and it's, it's like, amazing. It wasn't, it wasn't like that then. Back then you were going to funerals all the time. And it was, it was like COVID, but for decades, you know, uh, in my community, certainly. Um, yeah, I think it was something like 700,000 people dead. From AIDS, I think since since it was, I think officially named, which might have been eighty one. I know it existed prior to that, but but we or since we officially detected it and and labeled it right. My or, my, my point is simply to say there were a lot of complex things going on in the nineteen eighties yeah. that were making it very difficult for a community that was sort of emerging and and I think becoming you know, coming into its own and feeling like we could be who we, and I'm, I was a kid, by the way, but this is all stuff that I've heard from my gay forefathers, the, gener- the generation before me who lived it. Um, but, um, but, but, but it made it difficult to, 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 to continue progressing the way we were progressing. And so we kind of snapped backward a little bit. And that's the time period in which something like, you know, Masters of the Universe, uh, debuted. Um, I wasn't 
I didn't know about my sexual orientation when I was that young. It wasn't until the early 90s that I understood, you know, who I am. But, um, but what's fun is to look back now and realize that just because I wasn't aware of it didn't mean that it wasn't already in the cards because there were many things that sort of pointed toward um, toward what my uh, sexual orientation was. Um, and I think my my love for an interest in Masters of the Universe is, is part of that. And, and I think it's true for a lot of people. But unfortunately, for a long time, I think people have people have chalked that up to, well, yeah, I mean, look at look at him. You know, he's like not wearing a lot of clothes. He, you know, he's buff, muscle guy. You know, look at him. all of them. Even the villain is muscly and he's got a skull for a face, you know. And uh, um, that's I'm not going to say that there's nothing there. I mean, certainly I'm sure people, I know people actually who saw these characters and were, you know, saw them in a, in a, for their physicality and thought that was somehow enticing to them. It wasn't to me because I didn't know about that for myself yet, but maybe people who were older did. For me, it was about stuff we've been talking about, which is about having a secret identity yeah. and, you know, um hiding who you really are from the people who you are closest to that was the thing it was it's one, it was one thing to be in the closet publicly at your job or and this is true in the 90s as well when i was you know coming of age and even still in some ways today it's one thing to be professionally, you know, you're quiet about who you are and in the closet or what have you. It's a very different thing when you can't be honest, you feel you can't be honest about who you are to the people who are closest to you. Like your friend in the 80s who came out of the closet to you, like the shaking was, you know, to my ears, the shaking was a release of something that had been building up inside of him for so long because of his probably desperation to just sh share to tell you who he was you know and um because he loved you and and it's you know you can be in the closet with strangers and who cares but the people that you love it it, it wasn't as easy in the 80s and 90s uh to to be truthful about that with 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 people who you were supposed to be close to and then you're living a lie yeah. in many ways and a lot of it is for self-preservation a lot of it was you know we had good reason i mean there were there was there is still violence perpetrated against lgbtqia plus you know uh, i don't know i think there was just a real danger i mean it, there was a real da a danger back then not just the physical violence you were speaking of not just you could lose your job over it and lose your church over it, but and even lose your friends over it. But people were losing family over it. They were being kicked out of their homes because um, mm -hmm. the parents, maybe due to religion, you know, uh, deemed it as a 
you know, I, I was raised in a um, born again Christian household. Mm-hmm. And my mother was, um, she's passed away, but um, she had this philosophy in her head that um, at the time, and um, anyone who was gay, and at the time, gay just, it, it wasn't just um, males. I think it was just general, um, anyone who was attracted or in love with the opposite sex. I think I got that right. Um, but uh, anyone who was um, gay, it was a lifestyle choice. <laughs> you know, like uh, it was her belief that people are choosing to be gay and it's a sin and they just well, need, need to be steered in the right direction. You know, let me, let me say something in defense of your mom there, which yeah. is, <clears throat> it is a lifestyle choice to be honest and open about who you are. I think that when there were a lot of people who used the idea of lifestyle choice and, you know, you don't have to live this way. Mm-hmm. You could live like a straight person. Um, you know, they they weren't they weren't saying that sexual necessarily, not all of them were saying that sexuality was something you could just turn off and on like a light switch or whatever, or change or however. It was simply there was this outdated, the sort of it, their generation grew up in a time when you didn't talk about your personal life, you know, men. So many men in this country had mistresses on the side, you know, you know, they they didn't talk about it. They knew wives even knew. But like there were there were things that just you didn't talk about. You didn't you weren't open about We we were more conservative in. And I mean, that with a lowercase c in terms of how we how much we shared with each other. And um, and so. But that wasn't by choice. Right. I mean, that was for survival. Well, but that was her generation was 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 you was accustomed to that and and thought I'm sure and I don't know if this was the case with her but with some people they thought that well okay fine you're gay but you don't need to live that way because it's a choice for you to be open about it it was what we did with don't ask don't tell in the oh, military yeah. which was we're not going to say that you you're not you can't be gay. We're just going to say you can't tell anyone you're gay, and we're not going to we're not allowed to ask you if you're gay. And boy, it seemed like a great solution at the, t- at the time. It seemed like, well, what a compromise that is. Um, <laughs> when you look at it now, it's 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 essentially telling someone who is sworn to tell the truth, someone who stands up at, and takes an oath to be truthful and honest and defend this the people of this country, you know, you're telling them, you're, you're encouraging them, you're requiring them to be dishonest. Um, but that came out of this old think of, yeah, you can be gay. Just don't, you don't talk about it. You don't live that way. You can just go live a different way. That was the way it was for so many gay men in the, you know, many decades prior to the ones we're talking about, which was, they were married. They had kids many oftentimes, you know, and they were, they were reaching out in ways the best, own some you know whatever way they could, to, to uh, other men like them or women depending on which which um you know which which side of the spectrum we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, but but the, you know that's how they lived and it was pretty normal. In fact, 
throughout history, way back throughout history. I mean, if you look at the Romans and, you know, ancient Greece and, yeah. you know, where homosexuality did, does not seem to our historical record to have been vilified the way it has been in the modern age in America, certainly. Um, uh, so so these, these were times that we, but, but, but it was, you just, that was how it was. It was just a fact of life. You didn't talk about it. You still got married to a woman or, you know. Um, so what your mom was saying wasn't, isn't necessarily based in hatred or, or, uh, or fear. Well, it's based in fear, but it may not be based in hatred, you know. Um, and, uh, and so this is what I mean about having a little, you know, finding compassion and places where you can, you can look at folks and, and realize that, you know, what their situation is. And, and though it's different from yours, you know, if you can understand theirs, you can maybe help to find, you know, seek common ground and, and help each other get through life. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's good perspective to have. I wish she was around. You know, I wonder if her her, her thoughts and opinions would change. Um, I sort of kind of rebelled against the whole, and um, I have nothing but love for anyone who's religious or born-again Christian or, um, or you know, or what have you. Um, this was just for me personally. Some of um, my best friends are religious. Yeah. Yeah, I had a trouble, you know, I got fixated on, um, you know, I... I the way I was taught was that everything in born again Christianity was right. And unfortunately everything else was sort of going to hell. And I just imagined like, you know, this, maybe a child that grew in Israel and never accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, because that's not what they're taught and um, grew up to be a good person and a good, you know, um, loving gentle family man or family woman and and then dying and then going to hell because they never accepted you know jesus christ in their, as their savior because it was just never taught there and i just it, that was the beginning of my rift like i was yeah. always saying thinking like what kind of god would not would would be so cold to not Boy. judge someone's heart but you're speaking my language. This is this this is who I am in the writer's room. I'm usually the guy who looks for the 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 holes in the plot, like or the <laughs> like. I'm like, wait a minute, hang on. You know, that was how I figured out that Santa Claus wasn't real. Sorry, <laughs> watching this right now that doesn't. Yeah. Santa Claus is of course real. Yes. I meant the mall Santa that he was a helper. That's what I meant. The way I found out that there were Santa Claus helpers um, was that my my parents never put any gifts on, by the way, they put a ton of gifts under the tree. And this is why I love toys um, because they really started me off right as a kid. We didn't have anything by the way too. And they made Christmases unreal, but they never put on one of those from tags. They never said from mom and dad ever. Uh. And I used to have to get them presents. And I was like, why are they the only ones who don't get me a present? It drove me crazy. I thought about it until I realized, oh, yeah, I, I see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> see, I was the opposite. I was spoiling everyone's Christmas because my mother 
taught me from the beginning that <laughs> this is going to freak you out that Santa it was really the work of the devil. Yeah. That, uh, that yeah. you know, that Christmas is about, you know, the birth of Christ and what have you. And again, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not making any judgments or condemnations about Christianity or anything, but this is just the way my mom was taught me. So I went ahead at school and when, when in grade school in elementary school and in the lower grades, when people would say, Oh, I can't wait for Santa to come. I'd be the one saying Santa's not real. <laughs> it's your parents. You know, he's the, you know, he, he's the work of Satan. I, he, yeah. <laughs> You can't wait for the devil to come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I spoiled a lot of <clears throat> Christmas that I think back and I just oh, like, man. you know. They, they did a number on you. And I don't mean your mom necessarily. I just mean the church, you know, they they did a number on you, it sounds like. And it, and it sounds like you figured out who you were and like, you know, how you saw the world and who you want, how you wanted to embrace the world. You, you found your way out of that stuff and figured out other things it sounds like yeah because there are loving churches out there that um, absolutely that's that, what, absolutely that are so loving and embrace everybody and um are so are is food for the soul and um and but and i never disparage any of that and so many people you know the one thing that i love about my mother when she passed away and um is that she was at she she died of uh, breast cancer and she knew she had a few weeks a few weeks to live but she was so at peace that you know through her dying days she was smiling she was singing she was saying I'm going to heaven and she even designed her uh, funeral uh, what is it a brochure not a brochure um, but it's it was some sort of paper that had art artwork and poetry and everyone would get one at the door and yeah program thing. there's a name for it but yeah yeah and the artwork was by my mother and the writings was by my mother and she was so at peace and i was like you know i was like even if there she was she's right and she's in heaven or if she was wrong what a wonderful way to go you know to be yeah. at peace with that so yeah. i was yeah. always pretty jealous of that but um, yeah yeah. But it was it was rough. You know, I knew too many people that their parents disowned them. And um, so I always just thought, you know, there was a real danger coming um, out of the closet. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember that show Miami Vice at all? Vividly. OK, so and it, this is going to be nonfiction that leads to fiction. Um but it was my father's favorite 80s show. And uh, it was number number one, for anyone who doesn't know, for a couple of years, aired uh, at 10 p.m. on Friday nights. It was a big cultural phenomenon and made Don Johnson the superstar. Philip Michael Thomas. Yeah. Philip Michael Thomas. They even had like a Universal Studios Miami Vice stunt show. I mean, how many sales, times? Sales they, of cigarette boats skyrocketed. Yes. And no socks, right? No socks. The, <laughs> and the blazers. The blazer with the, yeah. Yep. Pushed up. Absolutely. Well, my, you know, my parents, um, they, they separated their marriage early and uh, they had split custody over me and my brother. And uh, when it was my dad's turn to take us for the weekend, he would let me stay up late on Fridays and watch my advice with him. And I had this, uh, vivid memory of a episode titled Evan. 
uh, E-V-A-N. And it's a wonderfully made episode. I recommend anyone seeking it out. I think the series streams on Peacock, Hmm. I believe. But in this episode, Evan, it told the story um, of three officers that were great buddies until due to a investigation of a um, gay bar, one of these three cop buddies was out and it broke the friendship and everyone at the station found out and this poor officer became an outcast and no one wanted to partner with him and it turned his life so upside down that when he heard a report of an active shooter on the police radio he went to the scene and approach and approached the um the shooter without defending himself as an act of suicide and he was gunned down and what rips your heart out is later i learned through my father that this premise was based on true events you know taken from the headlines like uh law and order so to speak mm-hmm. so i think some of it in the 80s was just a very unforgiving time you know and uh i don't know were you nervous that you were outed by your well, brother okay, so so like in the 80s you know i was a kid in you know elementary school and i'm like it was a time when you know the, the worst thing you could call somebody was you know the the f slur yeah. And um it was, you know, but like but you but you laughed about it. Everybody it was funny to 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 demean someone like that. And it was real casual. Um and you know, the word gay was getting used for, you know, in the 80s for like something that you didn't like. Oh, that's gay. And which, you know, has still maintained its, you know prominence uh, in in the lexicon but it's actually i don't remember that then but i see that now and i'm like what is going on yeah we were saying we were saying it then okay more so than now um at least in the northeast (laughs) um which it's always regional too Mm -hmm. um that's the thing i didn't grow up i mean i i moved to the south when i came out of the closet when i to myself and to the to, to the world uh, I was living in Florida, in Central Florida, which was a very, it's not a great place to be a gay kid um, at the time. I don't even think it today it is either. Uh, but um, but I, as a as a younger kid, I grew up in, in New England, and you know the perception is that New England would be much more progressive and open and 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 uh, and welcoming, and and in some ways I guess it is, but. Um, but as a kid, we were we were victim to what we heard our parents and our older siblings say and do. And I think we we all engaged in in you know using those words and we didn't really even understand what gay meant, you know, mm-hmm. but we laughed about it. It was funny to us. It was a joke. Um, and that's what you grow up with. So that when the day comes that you're like, oh, wait. You're looking in the mirror and you think, oh, this is who I am. Um, the baggage that you have is that I'm a joke. I am disgusting. 
I am not one of the crowd. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm other, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm different. And, um, and that is where, you know, in it's, it's, it's sort of unique to something like this because it hit, it gets, usually gets you around your teenage years. And um, whereas if it's about the color of your skin, that's something that you're born with visibly. And, you, you know, whereas your sexual orientation is something that you, it does, ne doesn't necessarily reveal itself until what is perhaps already the most complicated time of your childhood, certainly, if not your whole life. Um, so, so there's a lot of, there was a lot of baggage there that you brought with it. I don't think kids necessarily have that much baggage anymore. I, I, I assume I'm not in school, but I assume that the flagrant sort of making a joke out of sexuality, you know, homosexuality and stuff is, is not as prevalent as it was when I was a kid and when maybe when you were a kid, you know, I, I, I think, um, so maybe, maybe that's one of the blessings of the modern age is that kids, they have a lot of other challenges, but that may be one that they don't have as, as much, they haven't accumulated quite as much baggage. You know? Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised that a lot of them don't know what being in the closet is, um, especially, and that could be regional, um, but especially in some of the progressive areas that, um, you know, and, and everything you see on media now, I mean, it's, oh, it's, I don't know, about that, by the way, I, I think, I think, I think the closet is still, is still alive and well. And, and yeah, I think that we have, we have like that rubber band I was talking about, we've snapped back again and, and a lot of it has to do with social media, but there are a lot of voices out there that are telling you know, kids that it's wrong and it's sick or it's a sin and, and driving them back into the closet and really this is driving. Oh yeah. It hasn't gone away. I think they're for, for kids, they have better positive role models that they can find and look to now than we had, but there are that having, having more stuff in the plus column, hasn't changed the number of stuff in the negative column. Like there's still, that stuff has in some ways only gotten worse. The rhetoric has only gotten worse, especially in the last six years. Um, you know, a lot of people have felt free to be able to say what they want and and be and think what they want and be happy, be proud of it. Be proud of the fact that you, you know, hate this particular group of people or what have you, you know, I think that it, it, it's, you know, the fish rots at the head. I think that we've, we had a, we had people in, in high positions on our television every day who made it seem okay. And so it, it emboldened a lot of people who were living in the shadows of sort of hatred and, and uh, you know, keeping, maybe keeping quiet about their prejudices, but um but nowadays they're vo as vocal as ever. It, 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 the good news is that there are positive role models and, and positive things to look to, um, you know. So you know, I think that was huge, by the way, in the 90s. You know, I think that's when, um, well, I think it might have started with uh, Elton John. You know, he famously came out, I think maybe it was in 1991. There was that, um, in that um, Rolling Stone interview. Well, that was, he had, earlier he had come out in the, I mean, I, I, God, it was like 
was it early 80s or late 70s even, where he came out as bisexual. In yeah. Rolling, I think it was Rolling Stone. Maybe it was Playboy. Um, but then in the 90s, he 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 amended that. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that getting... I do remember that, that he came out as bisexual, but I don't remember that getting as much play. But... That's a very typical thing, too. And I think there's a... Unfortunately, what it's created is in the gay community, there is a... There has there's an historic uh, bias among gay people, homosexual people toward bisexual people, um, and and I think I I think it's rooted in in the the idea that you know there are people who sort of use the idea and the concept of bisexuality as as a bridge and a stepping stone to coming out of the closet fully as a homosexual. Um, and so, and so there's a, there's a, there's always been this sort of, it's getting better now, but there was always this kind of tension um, between the homosexual and the bisexual community. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I've seen that everywhere. Even Look at bisexuals and say, Oh, you just haven't made up your mind yet. And that's completely ridiculous. Like that is not the way sexuality works. And we know that now, but right. uh, there's still people who think those things. And so, you know, we have our own problems in the community, in our own community as well. <laughs> we're, we're working on But it, it seemed like um, the nineties started becoming a safer time for George Michael came out. I think it was a safer time for bigger names to finally say, okay, this is me. Yeah. And not worry that's going to impact my career. And well, they did. They did. They still worried that it was going to impact their career. You know, uh, I mean, Ellen DeGeneres proved that uh, yeah. it could impact your career in a big way. I mean, happily, you know, she found her footing and, and became more successful than ever later on. But at the time, you know, her show got canceled. You know, um, and when she came out of the closet in in real life and on TV. The thing is that this is how I feel, and this is what I think about 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 things like Motu, um, and and things that were not ex expressly written to, you know, be uh, a you know a, a life preserver to you know gay kids who were lost in the wilderness or anything like that. We identified we identified something about it that appealed to us and that we identified with. Um, but, but, but I think that, that it is, it is not in the halls of power. It, it is not on the, on the stump or in the white house or in the Capitol, or I would say even in the Supreme court where we make progress toward, you know, being more open and, loving toward our neighbors, um, particularly our LGBTQIA plus neighbors. Uh, uh, it is, it starts in entertainment. It, it's things like will and grace yeah. changed more people than, than maybe we will ever be able to account for. This is what I was saying. We were, we were dabbling with it for the previous couple of decades, but Putting a you know every now and then you'd have a an, an openly gay person in your living room on TV, but Will and Grace was a show that was completely centered around your gay best friends, you know, yeah. and and it was it had the advantages of being really funny, and it had a great cast that were really lovable and likable and 
and it was a good show on its own. And it, I had, but a lot of people watched that show and it was the, the most they'd ever been exposed to being around gay people, you know, gay characters at least, you know. Um, and that changes, you can't change people's minds unless you first change their hearts. And the way we get to people's hearts, I think most effectively is through the arts and through entertainment. And do you think it's through humor too? Yeah, I think humor helps. Um, Cause funny, says, funny, you know, like Will, Will and Grace is funny. And usually when well, people laugh, they're always says that, you know, it's like funny is funny. Like it doesn't, it, it's, it crosses all boundaries. Like yeah. it doesn't. So, so, um, so, I think, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be funny. I, I, and I think that, that, um, you know, I, I think that there are, there are things like, like, I don't know, like what did I, I watched, I also watched Gem and the Holograms as a kid because I don't know why I really identified with these characters. Mm. Um, oh, I don't know. She's living a double life. You know, she's fabulous one minute on stage in the lights. She's a rock star. And then the next minute, you know, she's just your average normal person, I guess, kind of, um, who, you know, technically knows her boyfriend is cheating on her because he's dating both her and Jen. Um, <laughs> one of those weird, <laughs> weird things about Jen that we always loved. Um, I, I think we sought out stuff, even if it wasn't coded for us, we sought out things that we could find we could cobble together a code in and, uh, and, 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 and certainly Motu uh, was one of those things. Yeah. I mean, let, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, you know, in, in, in relation to the show and, you know, I, I read like some of the parallels and I guess some of them probably could be classified as stereotypes, I think now, but yeah. it was like, like you said, um, Adam living a secret double life. Yeah. Um, Adam having quote unquote fabulous powers, Adam having a, uh, pink tie. unabashedly wearing pink. Yep. With lavender pants and, yeah. uh, purple boots. Absolutely. At a time when that was considered gender bending. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That was the stereotype. And then, um, and also he man never really showing romantic interest in women. And I'm going to caveat that. I know there's a couple. Episodes. Well, in the comics, he certainly did, but yes. Yeah. But I mean, in, fil in, in the filmation show, right. In, yeah. in that specific show, there was a, uh, there was a couple romantic hints uh, made by um, Adam towards Tila, like signs of jealousy from Adam <laughs> when, when Tila was around other men. But in 130 episodes, Filmation never truly totally went there 100% and committed, which I think opened this show to be so many things to so many people. You yeah, know? it was also, it was, it, I, I hate to, oh man, I, I'm going to make some people angry when I say this, but it was designed for kids. And it was at a time when we didn't think that you depicted gay people as characters for kids that is something we still struggle with in this industry um i i mean i remember i was working on a show and i put in a, i wrote in a gag this is only a few years ago i wrote in a gag where somebody 
one character says they've got this amazing sense of smell and they say i i am and 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 they're in a rainforest and they're like i this rainforest like the it's like a network of smells and i it's so good and so intense that i can tell you what every animal within a five mile radius is thinking right now and they're like really and then the camera swooshes through the forest and lands on a little tiny rabbit just a little bunny sitting all by himself nibbling on a leaf and then bunny stops and he looks up and he thinks to himself and you hear his thoughts and he says nobody knows i'm gay and then <laughs> go back and that's literally it there's no like there's nothing about it we never go back to it it's never part of the story or whatever we just move on with the show i had i got a note from the the uh the story editor and they said well we can't we can't have this mm. you have to cut this and i said why i said it's funny and they said we we cannot we are not going to talk about sex on a show for children and, and i said I don't think I was talking about sex. No, you weren't. <laughs> and, uh, but that is a mode of thinking that still exists and we're still coming up against all the time. And um, I eventually had to lose the line because I wasn't in charge, but mm -hmm. um, that little bit. But, um, but and, and by the way, the person who gave me the note is not a... A, a homophobe or, you know, but is, is, is themselves, I think, a victim of, of the, you know, just the, the, the old think of this industry and especially in animation. And, uh, and, and I'm, I, I actually bet if, if I, if I voiced this, you know, directly to him, uh, he, he would, uh, he would probably say, oh man, I, I, I yeah, you should have challenged me on that. We could have ended up putting that through. Um, anyway, I don't, cause it, I don't mean to, I don't mean to imply anything negative about him. It's, it is, he's a great guy. He's, he's really, you know, very supportive of, of you just, uh, queer people. You, just get, you get programmed, I think. But I think it's just old think in the business that can permeate still. So that was much more prevalent in the eighties. And so I think, you know, and people were very conscious of what were cartoon, you know, we just deregulated and, and now you're able to advertise toys and cartoons. And that was a kind of a new thing in the eighties. It's why we had this explosion of toy merchandise and animation all tied together. And, and um, people were, were very conscious and, con you know, of, of what was the type of material we were presenting to kids. So it was a kid's show. So they didn't, go necessarily down the road of a relationship between He-Man and Tila. And nothing to do with homosexuality, right? This is simply about romance. But even that is, you know, for a kid's show at the time, probably the thought was, yeah, we're not going to do that. This show's for little kids. They don't care about that. The ki kids aren't interested. Like, you know, the fact that we got strong female heroines like Tila or She-Ra, for that matter. But Tila is a special exception. Like, Tila is different than She-Ra. She-Ra was in a property that was targeted for girls at the time. And that was, I think, the intention behind that was let's try to duplicate the success we've had with boys, with Masters of the Universe, with girls. Tila 
was a character in a property that was designed to appeal to boys, but was this capable, strong, proud female character who could hold her own. And, you know, which is something that we simply sort of revealed a little bit more in Revelation, revealed, um, which was the idea of that show, right? We're just sort of, uh, you know, making that, bringing that a little that what was already there a little bit more to the forefront to reflect kind of where we are today. Tila in, in that way is such a miracle of a character because for a character like that, for a, for a young boy to want to have a Tila action figure. Yeah. That's, that was huge at that time. You know, it wasn't, it's not as huge for, a you know, for um, I would say, I, I don't know. That was a big deal. I think that, Boys wanting She-Ra figures as a kid made total sense to them. But I think, unfortunately, because of programming in, in our society and our culture, I think boys could not voice the fact, you know, even, even boys who were, you know, to grow up to be undeniably heterosexual um, could not ask for a She-Ra figure for Christmas because, you know, mm. that, that, was, that, was, that was considered bad. Um, you know, I'm, I might have a counterpoint, though. I do wonder, and I agree with you in regards to kids' animation and, you know, why would kids be interested in a relationship between Tila and, and He-Man, but I wonder if it being vague was actually intentional. And what I mean is um, it's possible that making the uh, LGBTQ plus community feel welcome could have been intentional. and why I say that is let's apply it to what we know in regards to what we were talking before about women in the show, you know, filmation founder, um, Lou Scheimer, he was a very, uh, rest his soul progressive thinker. And in 1983, he hired a lot of women in important roles, including animators and writers. And I think even was the first, female director in animation and her name was um gwen wetzler first mm -hmm. time a, a woman ever directed you know a cartoon mm -hmm. and um it was during the first season of he-man and the masters of the universe and um and i believe as the story goes there was at least one man that uh, reportedly was unwilling to work with a female director back yeah. in you know 83 but um yeah and I believe Lou's daughter, Erica, um, went on to direct episodes in season two. But what we can see what was happening behind the scenes at the filmation office in regards to treating women equally seemed to permeate the show itself. And it's not just the stuff we talked about before, about Queen Marlena being the best pilot, being an astronaut, uh, Tila being the queen of uh, or uh, the captain of the guards. but. Um, there was even a episode called Visitors from Earth, where there were more astronauts coming from Earth. Mm -hmm. And um, there was an astronaut named uh, Andrea. Um, and after she, like, you know, did some jujitsu move against Evelyn, um, He-Man asks, where did you learn that? And she replies, my father taught me how to cook and my mother taught me judo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And you got to think of this back in 83, 84, you know, that, um, that maybe these, these like incredibly forward thinking, open-minded business practices towards women of Lou, uh, that it was translated on screen and it's all there. And now if, Let's apply that to creating a show that the LGBTQ plus community could see themselves in. And the founder of Lou, uh, Filmation, Lou Scheimer, his daughter who worked there, Erica Scheimer, um, was, is a lesbian. And she said there was not just women employed in that office, but there was a lot of very talented gay people working at Filmation too. And I, I believe she was even reported uh, to say in an interview that Filmation was one of the gayest places in town. <laughs> so I love Filmation. <laughs> um, but I guess what I'm saying, you know, and and there were while there were many restrictions in regards to depicting women on on television. And, and animated uh, by censors. I know there was double that when it came to um, presenting anyone gay, but applying to what we know in regards to uplifting women, I have to believe maybe the reasons why the community yeah, can find... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying we have to connect those things though, because I don't know if that was on your list of, of, of stuff that, um, you know, sort of appeal, you know, generally would have appealed to the to LGBT uh, people, which is the the depiction of strong, powerful women as heroines and not damsels necessarily, and not as romantic love interests necessarily, but but as their own powerful selves standing shoulder to shoulder with kings and champions and and as as their own you know royalty and champions themselves i think that that is you know historically i think gay people like me have always gravitated toward iconic powerful strong women who who you know in a sense there is a gender bending that's happening in that they they are they are ex exerting their power in a way that we historically have seen only men be able to exert their power and so that was just in the dna of that show which was a a a check uh, uh, on the uh, of the box in favor of women's rights and how we depicted women in entertainment Right. And for kids to be able to be exposed to that was 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 a great box to check. But then also kids like me watched that didn't necessarily know why I was drawn to a character like Tila. And I could have at the time mistaken that for a crush that I would have had on her. I mean, maybe it would have been a crush. But but as I got older, I get to understand as it becomes more, you know, as it's revealed to me more who I am, that it's it is more about. It's that it's that thing that we love about Judy Garland, you know, that thing that we for some reason we all just so many of us have a have a, a real affinity for 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 these these women in, in pop culture. And um, and it's about strength and 
power and and and, ex and exerting and using your power the way traditionally a man does. And uh, I don't know why we we gravitate to that, but I think we always have, which is something that Motu did that I don't think anybody else really captured the way yeah. they. Um, and and this isn't just filmation. I think it was brash and ballsy of Mattel to have women characters as action figures that they sold on the pegs alongside these men. Um, that's even today, we still are struggling. There's a dearth of, you know, we get so many more male characters than we do female characters as action figures. It's, um, and yes, the ratio was, 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 you know, there weren't, at, it wasn't an equal number uh, no. of female and male figures on the shelves, but the fact that there were any is <laughs> remarkable. And then She-Ra happens and that's a whole line of, you know, characters. Yeah. Yeah. So considering how back again, just, you know, what we were talking about regarding the double life and fabulous powers and lavender pants, I don't know. I'm just not, I am willing to think that some of that might have been intentional considering the, the office that Scheimer was running and all of the forward thinking ideas that they put in the show that they could put in the show. Cause I think there's a lot of restrictions in regards to even with She-Ra, what she can do, like she could do less with her power sword. Apparently I remember watching a special and I think Erica Scheimer was talking about it, um, that um, she had to be more ladylike, you know, in regards to, you know, using her weapons and how she stands. And, um, you know, I think even like um, heels was an element. It, it was it was so these women. We always put these we used to put these women in heels. Yeah. <laughs> They're in the middle of the fight, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's so odd when you think about it, you know, but um, but there were all these like weird sort of, you know, I guess keeping keeping gender in specific columns, instructions that they, they had to follow to. And um, I don't know. I just I'm, I just wonder what I just open up the possibility that some of that was intentional in regards to look, um, it's possible that the best way I can describe it is Lou Scheimer really made the television series intentionally accessible and meaningful in everyone, considering he had um, a lesbian daughter and so many gay people that he worked with. And, you know, in a way that He-Man in the Masters of the Universe series was made just vague enough to still be kind of like toys. And as we know with toys, it's up to you, the individual, how you play with them. Yes, you tell the stories. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's very possible, and I think it's a great way to look at it, AJ. I think, it, I think that that um, I I I hope that there is a there is truth in that 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 there was a sort of a just a little scrappy underground effort to to really make this show accessible to you know queer people queer kids um to every kid right but 
but the good news, yep, exactly. But I mean, it was, yeah, the other ones were, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. All the other well, kids, <laughs> yeah. yeah, swords and magic and science and everything. It was great. Sure. Um, but uh, but to open it up, you know, to kids like me um, was, was, yeah, maybe there was a concerted effort. Uh, and boy, what a great story that, you know, if someone came forth and told that story of like what the details of that were, man, I'd be there in a second. I, I'd love to hear that story. Um, but here's the important thing. It doesn't change anything if it was a concerted effort on the part of Lou Scheimer or if it's something that developed among the fans anyway. Because, you know, they say, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, in some ways, you know, you, you don't make entertainment. Entertainment doesn't really exist without an audience. And the audience gets, they're the last part of the process. You know, they are, they are, everyone is, I write a script and story artists and directors translate that into, uh, you know, uh, you know, visuals, you know, uh, uh, more people along the way, editors, composers, people come in and they, they interpret, they reinterpret it. Everybody's interpreting the thing. Even I, when I write a script on a show like that, I'm interpreting the story that we've broken in Kevin Smith's living room, talking about what's this episode going to be about. Then I bring that and, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, you know, bring myself to it and, 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 and figure out, figure it out. Somebody else reexamines it and figures it out. Oh, it's a pipeline. And the last person in the pipeline is the viewer. And they're going to be interpreting it the way they interpret it as well, just like the way we do when we play with toys. And, um, and so whether it's Lou Scheimer that, you know, or Erica that had a, had a, a sneaky, you know, uh, uh, you know, way in which they, they were able to make a show that, that would appeal to, you know, to get, to get past the people who would at that time would have said no <laughs> to, yeah. to appeal to everyone. Um, whether it's that or whether it's the fact that the audience got there on their own um, and boy, did they, um, I think we are all better because of it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it doesn't necessarily matter why it happened. Um, there's enough stuff to be thankful to Lou Scheimer for too. I mean, I think that, that there are many reasons to celebrate his contributions to Motu. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and this might be one that is completely a contribution of the fandom. Maybe, maybe it's possible. And if it is, we have the fandom to thank at that point because I think it we're all we're all better. Well said. Oh, I think we've pretty much discussed this issue as much as we can, Tim. I don't know. What do you think? Do you have anything else to add on this topic? I think Skeletor is a mincing queen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've heard that theory. I've actually heard that theory. And no, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, maybe <laughs> we 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 have a thing now where it's um, <laughs> wokeness and political correctness has made it so that I think um, Camille Nanjani was talking about something like this the other day. We don't cast 
people of color as villains or queer people as villains. Um, and, uh, and, and there is a, there's a reason for that because there, those were tropes that were used for a long time and they were abused and, and they, sh they showed groups of people, you know, as negative characters. So they were showing them in a negative light, but it's possible that we've turned a corner. I hope, I don't know that we have yet, but I hope we've turned a corner where queer characters have just as much of a right to be a villain as any other character, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, so, so maybe, maybe we'll, we'll be able to sort of see that kind of thing again. And when that happens, get ready for my big coming out story about Skeletor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if anybody, it's Hordak. I mean, I don't you know. Go. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, perhaps naive, that uh, we've already turned that corner. Um, I hope so. And uh, maybe I'm wrong, but um, hopefully I'm right. You know. What is, then, what is Horde Prime's ship called? The Velvet Glove? Come on. <laughs> is that the gayest name for a ship you've ever heard? You know, uh, Tim, the, um, you know, uh, <laughs> someone showed me um, a picture I think it was, ooh, maybe it was from 1980 or something, of um, someone uh, wearing the He-Man power harness, okay? It might have been someone from the village people, but it was before He-Man existed. It was like oh, leather, really? and it had like, it had some sort of, yeah, and it was like, see, this existed beforehand in our community. Oh, it it's did. It's it, a, it, a harness. Absolutely. It's still like, this is still, a thing. this is still a look. <laughs> on Saturday night, Friday night in West Hollywood. This is still a look. You know? <laughs> it has nothing to do with email. <laughs> yeah. That's what was explained to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm look, I'm, you know, who knows? Who knows? Uh, in, that, in that situation, I wonder if there were some people at Mattel. At back in the eighties, who were maybe turning the dial toward inclusivity? I don't know. Maybe I don't know, I don't know but uh, we definitely, I definitely think I would be willing to gamble. The people at Filmation was, you know, and, and it was, and it was definitely um, a a quite a contrast from those little mini comics that first came with. Mm -hmm. That was more like Conan the Barbarian, you know, type of stories, you know, and yeah, and you would have expected more of the damsel in distress kind of stories and things from those early, you know, uh, those early stories. But uh, and in that way, boy, we do have to thank Filmation a lot for yeah. and Luchheimer a lot for uh, for for the way he dealt dealt with female characters, the empowerment. And I, mm -hmm. and I believe it was Filmation that introduced "We Have the Power." You know, holding that sword above the head, and uh, we we have oh uh, we have uh, the, I have the power. Well, it was in the in the Chris in the uh, in in the the crossover, right? It's uh, we have the yeah. power, so can you? <laughs> that's right, that's yeah. right. You uh, didn't know I could sing on this podcast, did you? I? I did not know. And to see, this is the way you close out a podcast with a, a song and dance number. <laughs> For the honor of love. <laughs> oh, Tim, you're too great. So, 
Sir, do you got anything to promote or anything you want to throw out there? I am not selling anything except love of Masters of the Universe today. That's all I'm here to sell. That's what I got. I got love for Masters Universe. I got love for you, Tim. I got love for everyone out there. And um, I just want to appreciate you, Tim. Thank you so much for being here and talking about this. You know what? It's way too early to promote it. But if we're going to promote anything, since this is about love of Motu, make sure you stay tuned for, you know, Masters of the Universe Revolution coming soon (laughs) to Netflix. Yep. And you cannot comment, sir, but uh, Chris would indicated that uh, or is his belief it's coming out this year so yeah i was on with colt the other day and i was like he was asking me about that and i was like uh i don't know <laughs> i have no idea i mean it's very possible chris knows something i don't but it could he could absolutely be right but when a, when a show is in production i think yeah. all bets are off you you know you never know what's going to happen until he- Netflix says this is when it's coming out Nobody really knows. It could be even ready to go this year, and then Netflix decides to shelve it until sometime. Yeah, like, like the back five episodes of the first, of Revelation yep. were sitting on the shelf. They could we could have dropped them, but they they built in a break for you know a programming break uh, in the middle of them. But you know who knows? Maybe it's sitting there right now. It's not. They're still working on it. I haven't. Yeah. No, I know. It's just you know what we're 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 so starving for news and content. You know, we're so excited for revolution that anytime someone is talking about it now, it's like, yes. Tim Seeley's Masterverse books though. That, yes. Those are going to be rad. Check those out. I know next month. And I'm really interested. Um, you might've missed it on four attorney, but uh, we, um, it was the solicitations for issue two indicated that uh, evil Lynn, uh, evil Lynn, excuse me, Lynn and Duncan, our partners in a story called uh, man in arms for hire mm-hmm. and they're, they're working together and um, you can't comment on any of this stuff. I don't know. Any of this stuff. <laughs> well, I can't comment Cause I don't know anything about it. Well, what I'm going to tie into is revelation here and the future is that um, there are many people that including myself that suspected um, they saw a glint in Lynn's eye every time she talked about, you know, the most dangerous man of Eternia, man at arms. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of us hope, you know, now that sorceress has died, that uh, and Lynn has turned a corner that maybe, you know, come a third installment that these two would actually end up together and that's the uh a, i don't know that's a great that's a really interesting theory i mean it's fascinating i you know as a fan i will say boy though can you ever trust lynn like you know <laughs> you say lynn's turned a corner i mean i don't i don't know i yeah oh i mean i i'm i'm a big fan of that of that character so you know. uh, yeah I mean, there's so many corners one can turn. (laughs) Who knows? knows? Current corners just lead to other corners. So, you know. The plot thickens. (laughs) That's not me saying anything. (laughs) It's you saying everything. (laughs) No, I am not saying a thing. I'm just, as a fan, I happen to have a lot of opinions about about Evil Lynn. That's all. Tim Sheridan goes on record, Evil Lynn (laughs) (laughs) is a villain again. Although I do know everything that's happening in revolution, <laughs> I, I, I but I, I will, I will, I wish I could tell you anything. You must refrain. And I totally understand. So <laughs> works. I'm not even going to try. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, 
that's a wrap all. We want to thank you all for listening to today's podcast. And if you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and comment below. Uh, we love the feedback. And uh, who knows, we might share some comments on the air one day. As always, uh, please visit us at fourternia.com for all the latest updates and news, as well as links to our social media pages that can help you stay up to date with all of our Masters of the Universe, Masters of the Universe Revelation, and Masters of the Universe Revolution, and Tim Sheridan content. All right. All right. So that's it. Uh, thank you all for listening, and let the power return. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Tim. I, I was going to say it with you, and I missed oh. it. Ready? Let the power return. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>